So, I want to lead off with a question this morning. How many of you have heard of a trust fall? Raise your hand if you've heard of a trust fall. How many of you have participated in a trust fall? A couple of people. Did it go well for you? Yeah? Okay, good. So we used to do these a bunch growing up when I was in youth group. And the idea is, if you're not familiar, the trust fall is, you know, somebody would stand up maybe on a chair or a table, uh, and they would kind of turn around and, you know, put their hands over their chest like this, and there'd be a group of people that would stand behind them, and they'd have their arms open, right? And so basically the idea why they call it a trust fall is that you're basically trusting on these people uh, to keep you from getting a bruised tailbone. And so when you fall, you fall backwards and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to fall. They're going to catch you. And so that's the idea of a trust fall. So there's an old story uh, of a father who took his young son out and stood him on the railing of the back porch. So then he went down and he stood on the lawn and he encouraged the little guy to fall into, back into his arms. And he said, I'll catch you. And so after a lot of coaxing, the little boy finally made the leap. And when he did, the father stepped back and he let his child fall. I know, it's just terrible. He stepped back, let his child fall to the ground, and he picked him up off the ground, dusted him off, he dried his tears, and he said, let that be a lesson. He said sternly, don't ever trust anyone. It's kind of mean, right? Like... You could think of maybe, I don't know, a million other ways to get that lesson across to your kid than to actually move and let him fall. I, could, I mean, I would never do that. Right? No, I wouldn't. There's so many other ways. It's kind of mean. But the point of it anyway, and why I share it, is that what I want to talk to, do, what I want to, talk to you today is about, it has to do with uh, where we place our trust and where we place our hope. You know, many people make big promises that they can deliver certain things. You know, maybe it's a boss who promises a promotion or a raise, or maybe it's a friend or a spouse, uh, and like we just prayed about, being that we just had an election, you know, of a, of a new president. Many people place their hope in an elected official or president to be our savior, and we're tempted to place our hope in them, but inevitably, every single time, we will always be let down, because what happens is we're yearning for something greater than a, than a human promise and a human trust. We're yearning for something greater. And so I want to argue today that it's, it's that way because we weren't meant to put our hope in man, but into an eternal God who never fails us and is faithful to the end. So before we dig in, uh, we're gonna, I'd like to have us uh, just read the passage we're going to go over this morning. So if you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you flip it open to Psalm 146. And if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you, it's on page 525. Just a little background on the psalm. Uh, this is one of the last five psalms in the, in the book of Psalms, and these are called the, uh, the Hallelujah Psalms. And the reason being is every psalm from Psalm 146 to 150 begins and ends with the phrase, Praise the Lord. And so that word praise in Hebrew is, is halal. It's where we get the, the, the word hallelujah. So... Uh, every psalm begins and ends. So there's an emphasis here in the last five books of the psalms uh, on praising God. So that's how he starts here. Let me, read, let me read Psalm 146. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. 
When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose hope, or his help, is the Lord, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. So there's a lot here. There's a lot here in this passage, and we're going to go through it uh, and try and dig out the meaning that the psalmist had really intended for us to see and to apply to our lives. So just, I shared uh, earlier about the, the fact that it began and ended, ended with the, the phrase, praise the Lord. So first thing, looking at verses 1 and 2, we must praise the Lord all of the days of our life. So let's look at that, those verses again together. Verses 1 and 2. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So what we see here is that we are to exemplify a commitment to praise the Lord. And we are to praise Him with all of our being. Everything we have, we are to praise the Lord. Notice the psalmist begins with an invitation right off the bat. To all, he says, praise the Lord. But then what he does is he turns it personal. And he says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And when he says that, he's really calling on all of his being, everything he has to, be, to, to praise God. Everything he has. And I think an important note to make here is that the psalmist, who is at the time... He was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to actually write this passage is telling himself to, oh my soul, praise the Lord. He's, he's kind of coaching himself up to praise God. And so, friends, how much more for us do we need to do the same? We need to say, oh my soul, wake up. Let's praise the Lord. We have to praise God today. We have to make that a practice of ours as well. And we do. We have to coach ourselves up. And one of the other ways that we do that is we remember who God is. It says in Psalm 103, forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord, forget not all his benefits. And he says that so our hearts might abound with praise to the Lord. And then in verse 2, we are to praise the Lord in a pattern of lifelong praise, unending, unceasing praise from beginning to end. We're to praise the Lord in a pattern of lifelong praise. And when he says... I'll sing praise to the Lord while I, have my, while I live and have my being. What he's saying is that he will make the praise of God a lifelong pattern. Now let's get real for just a second. I know we're only two verses deep here this morning. But does your life exemplify one of a pattern of lifelong praise? Does your life exemplify a pattern of lifelong praise? I know it's early. I know it's early in the sermon. I'm bringing the heat right now. I'm sorry. Uh, but we've got to do it. We've got we to do this. We've got to let the Word do its work this morning. So I know for me, at times I'm tempted to grumble. I'm, I'm tempted to complain. This is, I am a work in progress on this. I want it to be. I want that to be me. 
But again and again, I just feel my flesh pulling me away from keeping my eyes on the Lord and praise. And instead, it's pulled toward the world. And can I get an amen on that? Amen. I'm not alone, right? No, we need to make God's praise a lifelong pattern in our lives. So let's move to the next section. Let's read verses 3 and 4 together. It says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now what he's saying here is that we must not place our trust in mortal man to do only what God can do. Let me say that again. We must not put our trust in mortal man to do what only God can do. Verse 3, we must not put our trust in princes or men of nobility. That's really what that word is saying. For they cannot bring about deliverance. You know, it's interesting that the psalmist would go here right after this praise the Lord introduction. It kind of feels a little bit abrupt, right? I mean, at first glance, we look at that. We say, why, why is he going this way? Why is he saying, don't put your trust in princes? Praise the Lord, don't put your trust in princes. I think what the psalmist here is trying to say is that a commitment to praise God begins and requires a disassociation of a dependency on man. A commitment to praise God requires a disassociation of dependency on man. And the psalmist is also highlighting the powerlessness of man as no lasting help can come from any human. Psalm 118, verses 8 to 9 says, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The psalmist then tells us why it's foolish to do so. In verse 4, Even the noblest of mankind is fading away, and when they pass, so shall their ability to bring help. Friend, I don't need to tell you this. You all, every one of you knows this, but all of human life is transitory. Everyone in this room has an expiration date and on life. Not an eternal life, but the, we all have an expiration. We are here today and gone tomorrow, as the Bible says. And so also are human plans to help the needy. It's vain to put our hope in princes or leaders or governments or armies. You know, those things have their proper place. But merely human power is ultimately, it's not ultimately decisive in the world that God rules. It has its proper place, but God ultimately has the last word. He is the deciding factor. He is, he is the one. He is eternal, beginning and end. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So if we are not to trust in princes or mortal man, as the word says, where, where can we put our hope? Where can we put our trust? Where can we establish ourselves? Well, he tells us here in verses 5 to 7, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. So the one who places their hope in the eternal God 
will be blessed. And happiness comes to the one whose hope for aid is in the Lord. That word blessed that we see there, it really means happy or happiness. So the happiness of God rests on those who look to him for help. And I absolutely love what uh, the psalmist does next. He says, blessed is the one whose, whose hope is in the Lord. And then he tells you why. He points you ahead. He says, this is why. Reminding us. He qualifies his instruction as to why we should place our hope in the Lord by reminding us who he is. He says that our hope is secure in the Lord because he is our creator and he is faithful forever to those who hope in him. You see that? Blessed is the one whose hope is the Lord who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. That's his qualifying statement. This is why you can trust in him who keeps faith forever. We can place our hope on God by the basis of Him being our Creator. And one of the best passages, I think, that displays this, the sheer magnificence and the otherness of our God, is in Psalm 40. I'm sorry, Isaiah 40. I'm saying, I'm saying Psalm. We're in the Psalm so much this morning. Isaiah 40, 12 to 14. And then verse 18, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with a span? enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? I love that. I love it. Who is like the Lord? There is none that compares. No mortal can stand as his rival. He alone is the everlasting God. He alone has existed in eternity past and will exist in eternity future. And it holds everything together in between. He is the only one. Everything in this universe has a starting point and an ending point. But the Lord our God is everlasting. Amen? Lord our God is everlasting. This is the one friends. This is the one in whom we can put a confident hope and a confident trust in. We can never do that with with mortal men. We can never put our trust in men and expect to be satisfied. Expect for it to meet that craving of everlasting just firmness and rightness and holiness. Only God can do that. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And as if that weren't all, what else does the passage say about him? It says that he keeps faith forever. You know what that means? It means that we can hope in the Lord based on the fact that he's our creator, but also because of the preservation of his everlasting reliability and faithfulness toward his own. God is faithful. He has proven it time and again. He is a faithful God. And we can bank on that. We can trust in that. That's the foundation. The Word of God, all of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, they would, they would recite just time and again God's faithfulness. And I love this. In, in, the, in the verse we just read, the God of Jacob, why that's there is because it's talking about the God who established His covenant with Abraham. And it, walks, it goes through the Old Testament all the way to Jacob. 
and, and even beyond as we get to Christ. But God is a covenant-making God, and he's established it, and he's faithful to bring it to fruition. And we get to be the beneficiaries of that today as we stand on the other side of Christ and waiting for him to come again. And we know it to be true because it's in his word. He promised it. So our, our foundation, our hope is based on his faithfulness, his loving kindness, his mercy, his ability, unlike any other being in the entire universe, to hold it all together and to bring it to pass. He does what he pleases. He does what he pleases. So God uses his power and control to bless his creatures with the constancy of his love. And he's faithful. And his fidelity toward creation is meant to build us up. It's meant to encourage us. His faithfulness is meant to encourage us. We also see that he's the one who brings help to those in need. He's the one who reaches out to help those in need. He brings about justice for the oppressed. He provides food for the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. This is really good stuff. God is working, and he's working on behalf of those whose help is in him. He's at work to right all of the wrong in this world. I love, the, there's a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien from The Lord of the Rings. It says, uh, everything sad will become untrue. Everything sad will become untrue. And that's how God is working. He's working to unravel that, to, to uh, re-ravel it, I guess, to bring it back to the, to the garden, bring it back to the starting point, the way everything was meant in its wholeness and completeness. Everything sad will become untrue. Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Ne- yeah, amen. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that day. Everything sad will come untrue. And now looking at verses 8 to 9, we see more of the same as God meets the needs of his own. Look at this. Verse 8 and 9. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. Now look, what, now look what happens. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. That's, that's a little heavy. The way of the wicked he brings to ruin. We'll get there. We'll go there in just a second. But we see here, the Lord is the one who brings relief to the needy, and he thwarts the way of the wicked. God meets the needs of those whose hope is in him. He gives sight to the blind. He, can, he comforts the one who's bowed down. He has affection or love for the righteous. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. God takes care of the foreigner. Now I was like, what does this mean, God takes care of the foreigner? What, is, what does that exactly mean? So I looked this up. And this word foreigner also means stranger or sojourner. Uh, a temporary inhabitant, a newcomer lacking in inherited rights. Uh, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, in his, treasury, uh, in his work, The Treasury of David, had some really interesting things to say about this. Uh, this foreigner here mentioned in the first. He says, Many monarchs hunted aliens down or transported them from place to place or left them as outlaws, unworthy of the rights of man. But Jehovah made special laws for their shelter within his domain. In this country... The stranger, not our country, but the countries um, of Israel. Um, 
In this country, the stranger was looked upon as a vagabond, a kind of wild beast to be avoided, if not to be assaulted. And even to this day, there are prejudices against foreigners that are contrary to holy religion. Our God and King is never strange to any of his creatures. He seeks their preservation. So with this in view, it just brings out this gentle balm of this passage to the sojourner, right? That God will take care of the foreigner. He's near to them. And that should be our heart as well. We should seek their good. We should seek to be a balm to them. And then also in verse 9, it says, uh, God brings relief to the widow and the orphan. God loves and cares for those who have lost their husbands and their fathers. He cares for the ones who are left lonely by tragedy. And you know what the solution to that is, friend? It's us. Scripture tells us that God intends that the church be the ones to bring relief to the widow and the orphan. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Friend, we are to care. We are to have compassionate love for those who are the lost and the lonely in this world. For by this, we, are, we demonstrate a true Christian sacrificial love. We're commanded to do it, as it says in James. So we see here several ways that the Lord is faithful, how God brings aid and help to the needy, how he sustains the needy, who hope in him. But then we see a stark contrast in what comes next. As God brings relief to the needy, to the one whose hope is in him, he will actively work against the wicked. As he brings relief to the one whose hope is in him, he will actively work against the wicked. Like I said, that might sound harsh at first glance, but that's actually what the text is saying. To the one who puts their hope in God, he'll bring help. But to the wicked or guilty, God, it says, what it actually means is God will make their path crooked. He will bend, he'll bend their way of life. He'll bend their way. He, he, he actively is working against them. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and right unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is faithful. And he's merciful. And the sustainer of the one who puts their hope in him. But to the wicked, he's their enemy. He's their enemy. Lastly, verse 10. I love the way this thing concludes. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. The Lord will reign forever. He will reign forever forever. Such a good reminder because God reigns forever. We can trust him to be our help and we are to praise him. In contrast, the mortal man who cannot save, has no power to save, no deliverance, no salvation can be found. We have a God who reigns forever and is a sure help to those in need who would trust in him, who would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. 
God is on the throne. He reigns forever. And he is a sure help for those who trust in him. So, friend, what does all this mean for us? What is, what is this psalm? You know, we, we went through the verses and it's, you know, really good stuff. But what does it mean for us? How do we apply this to our lives today? Well, I'd say if you're tempted to place your hope and your confidence in mortal man or trust in a, a human government or a president or a boss or an army or whomever for the deliverance that only God can bring, like we said earlier, we will be left with utter disappointment. But there is one in whom we can place our trust. And he, right now, is seated at the right hand of the Father, firmly established on his throne, ruling and reigning, watching over our world, seeing all of the sadness, the injustice, witnessing oppression and evil, and he will make things right. Hebrews 1.8, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. We must heed the words of the psalmist. And on the basis of who we know God to be, he is the creator. He is the sustainer. The faithful God. The God who made a way for us to be saved through Christ's death and his resurrection. We must place our hope in the everlasting God. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's made us alive to a living hope, not one that will perish, not one that dies, not one that will fade away, but it's a living hope and it will be that way. When we place our hope in the Savior for our salvation, for our deliverance from trials and pain and injustice, we know that we will never be disappointed. We will never be disappointed. Romans 5, I think this, this right here just really brings it home. 1 to 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Another translation says, does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So friend, to kind of bring this all together, this is the closing point. This is what we want to go home with. We are to praise God all the time. Our life should be marked by praise, beginning to end, as we turn away from trusting in princes or mortals and instead trust in the eternal God who is our everlasting hope. Amen? Amen, friends. Let's pray together.
Lord, we thank you for your word. Just think how uh, relevant at all times, necessary at all times, uplifting, exhorting, challenging, convicting. Your word is all the time, Lord. We thank you for the truth that it is, and we stand upon it today. We ask, Lord, that as we have looked at this psalm, Psalm 146, today and, and seen how we need to put our hope in you, for you are the only one who can satisfy. Lord, protect us. Protect our minds. Protect our hearts and our, our affections from um, straying from you and, and uh, succumbing to that pool to look to other things that will, uh, we think, bring deliverance from something or hope for something. We recognize, God, that it's a longing within us that we have and only you can fill. And so, Lord, I pray that you would direct us, keep us from falling into the temptation that we all feel, we all experience for a man or a president or whomever uh, to be our hope. We look to you, O oh God. We look to you and we stand upon you, the one who is faithful forever. Lord, would you bring help? Would you bring hope to those who are oppressed, who are experiencing injustice? We ask that we as the church would be faithful to the command and the word to care for the widows and the orphans. Lord, to bring healing to them, to bring love to them. For it's pure and undefiled religion, as your word says. Lord, we want to be more like Christ in that. And we want to trust in his reign fully and completely for his reign is everlasting we thank you for your word today God and pray that Lord I pray that you would have used this today this sermon this message God the, the word that it would have fallen upon hearts that were ready to receive and that God that we would worship you and remember to praise you at all times We thank you that you are a God who is faithful forever and is worthy to be hoped in, who is faithful to be hoped in. And help us to do that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.